Hello, and welcome to part two of our coverage of the life of Catherine the Great. We had decided to revisit these two episodes from 2016 after watching Hulu's new madcap and beautiful series, The Great. We thought everybody would want to brush up on their Catherine the Great knowledge and learn what the entirely true story is. We had originally planned to post this episode as a bonus, like last week, but... In light of current world events, we got our schedule out, we crossed some things off and drew some arrows, and we moved up another subject that we thought we wanted to cover sooner rather than later in light of those events. So later this week, we will have a brand new episode for you on a woman whose story we were very excited to tell. We just thought we were going to tell it a little bit later than we are. So now, on with the show. Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, and welcome back to part two of our coverage of Catherine the Great of Russia. We strongly encourage you to go back and listen to part one, but we provided a little recap, as it's been a little while, so you can remember what happened if you don't have time to go back. And here's your 30-second recap. Once upon a time, a fair and smart princess, Sophia, is hauled out of obscurity by being called to Russia. Her prince was a grand duke, next in line for the throne. Our heroine navigated backstabbing political court life down the aisle at age 16. So what if her husband was a few shots short of a bottle of vodka? Sophia becomes Catherine, Grand Duchess of Russia, and is ready to fulfill her primary objective, produce an heir. Seven years, many schemes, a few miscarriages, and a stand-in mm, contributor, Catherine gives birth to a son who is whisked away by Empress Elizabeth. But that's only part one. Our tale is far from over. So let's just jump right in to part two of our coverage of Catherine the Great of Russia. When last we saw Grand Duchess Catherine, she was standing alone in an empty room with an empty heart. Her child, Paul, had been taken over by Empress Elizabeth, and the court, sensing the way the wind was blowing, had just faded away. There were two ways you could go here. The easiest way was just wilt and let fate carry you where it would. The second, more uphill of these options, was to get hold of your backbone again and change your fate. Which way Catherine would jump was not immediately apparent. She sort of retreated to this tiny indoor room, a room small enough to keep warm. Say what you will about the grand palaces and castles. Comfort was not a quality that a lot of rooms had. So Catherine and her little retreat took refuge in a fireplace and a comfortable chair and a blankie and Voltaire. And Voltaire. Yeah, and it might have been some postpartum depression in there because I had read some things about that that's what she was maybe experiencing. But sitting and reading to recuperate is way better than watching Lifetime movies, which is what I would have done. But, well, you know, she didn't have them, so. <laughs> she, all she had was books about Roman rulers and the works of Enlightenment writers like Voltaire. Let me give you a Voltaire quote. This is what she was reading. Life is thickly sown with thorns, and I know no other remedy than to pass quickly through them. The longer we dwell on our misfortunes, the greater is their power to harm us. Still good advice. Excellent advice. Even now. So, books on history, Russian history, and church history, and a history of Rome by Tacitus, which covered this time in Roman history that was full of 
backstabbing and intrigue and treachery and, it must be said, kind of nefarious behavior. What was lining up to face you here in the Russian court, I wonder? Hmm. Does it sound familiar? Yeah, and what a great way to get a little empowered, especially after you've had your child taken away from you by the woman who you kind of looked at as a almost a parental figure. Yeah. Well, it served as an inspiration for revenge, maybe, at how she'd been treated. Um, and growing ever stronger was this Really crazy, if you think about it objectively. Ambition for power. Her husband, Peter, had relied on her to do the boring yucky parts of governing his lands in Germany for years. I mean, all he cared about was the uniforms and the soldiers. So she knew she was a competent administrator, at least on a small scale. That is no Russia there. That, you know, that yeah. province he's no. the boss of. But there was this thrilling and really unlikely, at this point, thought that she could parlay this into the ultimate power. She's picking up pointers from all this stuff that she's reading. You know, that it's reason, not religion, that advances man. That's a concept that she can grab a hold of. And she was seen as being very charming. She knew, she knew her personal power. You know, she had, like they say on Survivor, she had a really good social game. Mm. Yeah. So um, she knew that she had that, but she really wasn't seen as like, powerful or manipulative or driven or ambitious at all. Well, but you know what's weird? Right here, when I was reading about this, uh, you know that old movie, Bridget Jones' Diary? Yes. Is that she an old like, movie? Huh? That's an old movie? It is. Oh, I, so, hold on. I'm aging right now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Well, there's the scene where, like, Bridget gets her mojo back after she's basically ditched that job. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm every woman. You know, that whole montage. Although most of this montage in Catherine, the action will happen only inside her head. But that's what I'm picturing. It's like... Oh, really? I don't have to take that anymore. I don't have to live like this. I can change my fate. I can do it. But it all happened. She all kept it all inside. (laughs) While she's curled up in her room under her blankie. She's (laughs) gathering her strength. Yeah. Catherine used the grand occasion of her husband's birthday to debut Catherine version two. (laughs) Her dressmakers had outfitted her in this superb blue velvet gown covered in gold embroidery, and she made an entrance. I mean, here everyone thought she was some weak, discarded vessel. Sorry to be so crude there. Yeah, but that's what she was. You know, moping somewhere, some business. No one knew. No one would ever see her again. Where is that person? And here was this presence. This presence walks in the room. The mother of the air, it occurred to almost everyone simultaneously. Like, (laughs) oh. I can imagine it like standing, like, you know, all those movies, standing at the top of the stairs and, (gasps) whoa. And Catherine made a point, made a point of snubbing this family called Shuvalov, one of whom ran her husband's household and another of whom was sharing a bed with the empress, who honestly thought they had this influence game all sewn up, as you would. Yeah, but you don't get the kind of power that they had without making a trail of enemies, Mm -hmm. which they also did. Um, She said, and I quote, I treated them with profound contempt. I pointed out their stupidity and malice. Whenever I went, I ridiculed them and always had some sarcastic barb ready to fling at them which afterwards would race around the city. I mean, that's strategy right there. Laughing at people is more powerful than punching them, don't you think? Sometimes. Oh, definitely. And then getting it to go around, to spread around, not only was she able to, you know, stick it to them, but she's also able to see the people that are high-fiving her. Those could be her allies. No, to self. Exactly. So the King of England, speaking of people who are kind of on her side, George II at the time, 
was also the ruler of this German territory of Hanover. And here our old friend, Frederick of Prussia, was making these saber-rattling noises that like, huh, I think I need some more land. I think I need to do some land grabbing. And England was kind of jumpy and nervous and wanted Russia's help to stop him. And the British ambassador, Sir Charles Hanbury Williams, was almost always seated next to Catherine at dinner and was so impressed by her mind and her reading and her philosophy and her common sense. What a rare commodity that is in Russia at the time, <laughs> frankly. Not to mention her attractiveness, you know, and, and her Charm, bearing, etc. Yeah. That he wrote back to that king, King George, that Catherine, quote, would rule if the empress were to die prematurely. Catherine rules. Hmm. Catherine rules. See, I don't know. <laughs> you got to do that thing where you go, hoo, hoo. <laughs> There's a Z on that. Rules. Okay. <laughs> well, anytime there was a serious question about anything, even Peter would say, I don't know anything. Ask my wife. She knows everything. And he started to call her Madame La Resource. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Openly saying, I don't know. Ask, Ask her. her. She knows. I don't have any idea. Madame Wikipedia. Although more accurate. More accurate than Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about Madame Resourceful? Because yeah. in exchange for information that he could pass along to King George, Catherine received... Loans of money from Sir Charles that she spent on informants. Mm. Mm-hmm. In Empress Elizabeth's household and in Peter's good value, if we're being cynical, uh, really. But even more valuable was Sir Charles's advice. She was able to bounce ideas off of that guy in a way she'd never been able to do before. I can just see her getting, you know, when you're intellectually stimulated by someone, and this is not anything that she's really had as an ally that she could have this kind of conversation with. You know, Elizabeth was, you know, very politically intelligent, but you couldn't play your hand at all with her. <clears throat> no, and Peter, uh, he was a mess. So, no. So, she finally had somebody that she could be intellectually stimulated by and, and start to develop even more ideas. Well, she wrote to him, you will see if one day I wear the crown. If one day I wear the crown. Do you see how early we're talking about this? Mm-hmm. You will see if one day I wear the crown that no small portion of it I owe to your counsels. Mm. Already we have this ambition. She began to buy the loyalty of key members of the military, both with money. That's the classic way to buy things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but with kindness, which is a surprisingly efficient currency. Mm. Empress Elizabeth went into a decline, um, uterine cancer, some say, from here. The Shuvalas were rumored to be secretly assembling a private army and planning to put old Ivan, remember him? Yeah. As the puppet king. He was a drooling imbecile by now. Even Empress Elizabeth had brought him in to see could he possibly take the place of that dang Peter. That would be a no. That would be a hell no. Oh, no, 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 no. Not no. even now. So Catherine got all of her own chess pieces ready, trying to think ahead, moves and counter moves, get hold of her son Paul, activate certain regiments, call up the bodyguards. Time would tell if she or the Shuvalov would checkmate each other. Peter looked to her to arrange all of this. Of course, no one thought Peter would rule. Everyone thought. <laughs> Even the Shuvalovs, Concernicus, <laughs> thought that he would rule in name only, but she would really be the power. Because already, anytime he had a question, he's like, you know, I don't know. Ask her. I have very important things to do with these army men in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real and fake ones. Yeah. That's why ones. So Elizabeth hung on in great pain, uh, more paranoid than ever, but still in power. And Catherine took up with Sir Charles's secretary, this gentle, handsome man named Stanislaus Poniatowski. And if you remember that I compared Catherine's first love, 
love in quotes, <laughs> Seltikoff to Valmont in Dangerous Liaisons. Let's call Poniatowski that Keanu Reeves character, Dawsony. Super sweet from the movie, you know. Yeah. Keanu yeah. Reeves was not in the novel. No. <laughs> well, he was in love. He was in awe. Catherine would dress in men's clothes and sneak away. Her hairdresser gave her the clothes, which I love. You can always trust your hair guy to have your back. That's right. Uh, I think Ponytowski really genuinely liked her and loved her and all the danger of discovery. And I think at last the real affection. Think about that. Has anyone ever given her real affection before? Uh-uh. No. So she's not only being intellectually stimulated. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Susan went there. I did. Well, it's Catherine the Great. We have to kind of go there, even if we're going to tap dance around it. That is true. Well, she had over a year of this relative bliss, though the tension must have been great with regard to her political situation. And Catherine spent most days learning everything she could about Russia, world politics, and keeping all those vital relationships going, and writing her memoirs for the first time. She was 27. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... All over the place. She has this all those lovers reputation. She's on boyfriend number two. And husband number one. (laughs) Boyfriend number two. Right. I'm just saying, it's already begun and it has no basis in fact yet. Right. The British ambassador and therefore his secretary were recalled to Britain. Dang it. Dang it. Those are my people. So she, she started finagling to get them back. Now, the Shuvalovs, as well as anyone else that thought that Catherine might usurp some of their power at court, would go to Peter and they'd say complaints to him. You have to do something about your wife. But Peter's like, yeah, I guess I do. So he went, one time he went to Catherine and he told her to get off of her prideful horse or he would bring her back to her senses. She stood up to him literally and figuratively, questioning his every point. So he would make a point and she's just standing there going, oh really? And it wasn't even like, what are you, you know, that's what I am, but what are you? You know, I'm in a rubber. You, and she wasn't. She was intellectually going at him, and he's, like, losing his crap because he has no comeback for her. He's not expecting her to be talking back to him. He, he went so far as to pull out his sword and say, this is how I'm going to take care of you. He pulled out that sword, and she's like, oh, is that what we're doing? Then you need to get me a sword, and let's have a little fight then. And he's like, I mean, I mean... I thought so. Why don't you turn your A around and go to bed? And he did. <laughs> He's like, no, they just told me to come here and tell me to take care of you, and I, I don't know what to do. But he is a mess. He never gets his crap together. He's a party boy, but an odd one. He's still dressing in those Prussian uniforms. I mean, he's just peculiar. And Grand Duke Peter got a mistress, a horribly vulgar, burping, swearing, grammatically challenged, which I think is funny. I misspelled grammatically in my notes. Ha ha, the irony. Anyway, she's a piece of work that repelled almost everyone she met. Elizabeth Vorontsova, I guess the kindest word for her was brassy, but with like none of the good Qualities of Mae West's breastfeeding. There's no heart of gold here. No. The ladies of the court were so upset by her. Like, you know how Madame du Barry, let's refer to a movie again. We know the story of Madame du Barry, but in the movie, how all the ladies of the court were like, eh, gross. A hundred times worse than that. This person didn't even attempt any kind of good behavior at all. Punching people in the arm, falling down drunk. But really, her and Peter, that's like a match made in heaven. To be well, Peter loved this so oh, much. Yeah. 
she'd get drunk and sing with him on the table or host dinners with soldiers and prostitutes as their guests. What an awesome contrast to his well-brought-up wife. Lauren Sovo is one big middle finger. And here's another one. Russia was at war with Prussia, and Peter took to wearing a giant ring on his finger with a portrait of Frederick the Great on it and bemoaning in public that if only he hadn't had to come to this horrible place, he could be fighting on the right side of this war. He has, like, not even a tiny little speck of common sense. Mm-mm. Well, Catherine did get Poniatowski back. Hooray! But Peter was now openly bragging that as soon as he was the emperor, he'd have Catherine's head shaved and shut her up in a convent. That equals divorce, by the way. That's And it's a power that he has. has. And mm-hmm. she... She took that as a threat, actually. I mean, as a realistic, he wasn't going to come at her with a sword, but this is... This is something he could easily do because other people could do it for him. Right. Ah. So Catherine knew that, number one, she'd have to alter all of those plans she'd made earlier and cut him completely out of them. And number two, she'd never, never, ever be safe as long as Peter was around. And number three, she was pregnant with what everyone knew was Poniatowski's child. So what if the empress died while she was in her latter months or in labor or week from delivery? It was a biological disaster. And the weirdest thing about this whole thing was Peter showed up in his full Holstein uniform during her delivery of this child, drunk as could be, to stand guard over her during her labor. And she's like, what are you doing here? And he said, only in times of need do we know our true friends. He freaked me out so badly. (laughs) Something is flapping loose. Flapping! Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, people kept asking him to swear this wasn't his child, and he never would. He never would. You like to think this was honor, but I wonder if he was thinking of all that delicious baby daddy money he got last time. Oh, yeah. Because if he swore it wasn't his child, that filthy lucre wouldn't be rolling his way. Mm -mm. And that's a lot of cash. That's a lot of drinking. That's a lot of fancy clothes and debauchery right there. We're not going to let that go over this baby. Plus, if he... Says that it's his, it makes him look like, oh, I'm having it with my mistress and I'm having it with my wife. Oh, he looks super uh, macho. macho. Yeah. And, and we're looking at it, looking back at it, and I kept thinking, he must have had some redeeming qualities. There must have been something. This has to be propaganda over the years. I don't see any pro- Did I miss something? Is there any redeeming qualities to this man? He was probably a connoisseur of the vodka. He yes. probably could tell you the differences between, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was fun at parties. I don't know. But how could he tell who was just sucking up to him because he was going to be ruling the country? You can't. You can never can. I don't know mm-hmm. that anyone can really mm-hmm. tell. I don't even think Catherine really could, you know. Uh, Catherine did give birth to a second child. Again, it's widely believed that it wasn't Peter's. But no matter, it's probably more accurate to say that Catherine gave birth to another child for Elizabeth, as her daughter Anna was also taken away by the Empress as soon as she was born. Catherine had very little contact with both of her kids. And in age when women of her stature didn't really have a lot of contact, she had even less. Catherine had made some contingency plans this time for her comfort after that horrible loneliness of last time and even managed to have a pretty active secret social life with her friends. But her other secret life, her loyalty and succession plans, blew up in her face right afterward. Chancellor Beshesev was arrested, and three other men who carried messages for her were arrested. Beshesev 
whose name is very hard to say. I know. I'm, I'm applauding you over here because you don't hear me trying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, his correspondence with Catherine had included ditching Peter, taking the throne for herself, treason. Think about that from Elizabeth's mm. perspective. Treason. But luckily, everyone involved had had the foresight to burn all their correspondence. That was such a convenient solution. Yes. What do you think? <laughs> what would we do now? Uh, I mean, any nerd could overcome a modern shredder. It's a big puzzle, right? Or hack your computer and find things. So I guess we have to rely on the gas hob and a pair of tongs if we really want to get rid of something. Just hold it over the gas hob with your long... What's a hob? You mean the gas... The fire? The The burner. You don't call it a hob? No. Oh. I don't know. So in Beckett speak, the gas burner is a hob. (laughs) Okay. Now in Susan speak, because I never heard it before. I will use it from now on. Well, now I have to look it up and see if I'm... Crackpot. I wonder where I, I got that. I seriously doubt you're a crackpot. I mean, <laughs> seriously, not knowing something and Beckett knowing, I mean, even my little son goes, let's toast marshmallows over the hob. It's okay. got to be something I say. I haven't <laughs> ever, I can't even remember having a gas stove since college. Okay. Well, okay. Anyway, <laughs> the mere existence of any secret correspondence at all between Catherine and Bestyashev was actionable. Every courtier immediately stopped associating with her. The survival instincts are very strong at this court. And Catherine was summoned to Empress Elizabeth's rooms after midnight one night. Yeah, she was summoned. She was hauled out of bed in her nightgown to go meet up with Elizabeth. And who else is there looking smug in the corner? But Peter and the Shuvalov, the bed Shuvalov was there. I even yeah. hate it. Like it's too confusing. All the names. Let's. He's the lover Shuvalov of Elizabeth. <laughs> right is in the room too. This might have been a railroading if Catherine had not been as strong as she was. She instantly flung herself at the feet of Empress Elizabeth and begged to be sent home to her family. I have disgraced myself in your eyes and incurred the hatred of the Grand Duke. He just has hatred in his heart. I don't think you incurred anything, girl. But anyway, this opening gambit threw Elizabeth for a loop. Like, whoa, did not expect. I thought you'd argue with me. So this long, convoluted conversation was actually more like a trial. Here's Peter, you know, to... Try and convince Elizabeth to get rid of Catherine so we could marry his horrible mistress. Shuvalov there, I guess, to keep Peter in power so his family could take over. And countless unseen people that Catherine herself was convinced were lurking behind these curtains. Screen, yeah, curtains or yeah. screens mm-hmm. against the window. So she was just convinced that she had no idea who was back there, but she thought there was an audience. Right. Catherine kept it together through everyone's whispering and the hard questions and the people leaving the room in anger and coming right back and the threats of torture. One of my favorite parts is when Elizabeth accused Catherine of thinking she was cleverer than everyone else. And Catherine said, I assure you, if I had that thought, the very fact of this conversation's existence would prove to myself that I am not cleverer than everyone else. She played it perfectly. And so many modern companies can learn a lot from You know, their PR departments can learn a lot from this move. Just accept it. Yes, I totally screwed up. I'm not bright. How do we move forward from here? Mm -hmm. Well, Peter got more and more irrational and shrieky, as we all knew he would. (laughs) And he stamped his foot and messed his hair over the course of hours and hours, and he was getting more incoherent. And Catherine impressed Elizabeth so much by her gravity and her intelligence. And at the end, Elizabeth sent her away. Not sent her away like, get out, but like, you know, oh, you're excused. And... Mr. Shuvalov, Bed Shuvalov, came with a message. The Empress sends her compliments. She begs you not to be distressed. Like, it's all good. 
Don't worry, we'll talk to you later. And Catherine's spies, remember, she had all those spies Mm -hmm. in her pay, reported back that Elizabeth was going around saying, my niece is brilliant, she loves truth, she loves justice, but my nephew is an idiot. Check. Yep. Good job, Cat. Crisis averted for now. For now. For now. But boyfriend Poniatowski was sent away. As her informant, because he had told her this trial was coming. You know, honestly, she stayed close to him for years and years. She wrote to him her deep most thoughts and friendly correspondence mm-hmm. for yeah. years and years and years, and ultimately made him the king of Poland. Right, right. So, oh man, you spoiled it. <laughs> yeah, so he's gone, and and that's the end. That was the price she had to pay for this whole scenario. But now she had to build this new coalition, but carefully... Carefully. An assistant of Bestuzhev's and Little Paul's governor was kind of on her side. Panin was his name. Austria and France were sending Catherine money. Get that. Uh, they were afraid of what would happen when that Frederick the Great worshiper Peter gets the crown. Russia and these allies had been at war with Prussia for years, and the tide was turning in a favorable direction. In fact, Berlin had been taken. So foreign countries were her ally. And here's a weird ally for her. The mistress, Vorinsova's younger sister. Well-mannered, well-read. In fact, she owned the largest library in the capital city. She idolized Catherine and was married to a guard officer of some rank. So her her name is Princess Dashkov. I wish I could tell you why these two sisters ended up so different. Uh, lost in history, I don't know. Yeah. One was the favorite, one wasn't. One was cute, one wasn't. I don't know, anything. Maybe it was different fathers. I I didn't really look into it. Yeah. Yeah. But officers in the St. Petersburg Guard regiments made a point of making their positions clear to Catherine, too, i.e., we put Elizabeth on the throne and we have no problem doing it for you, too. Wink, wink. Nobody's being (laughs) subtle here, uh, you know. Well, Peter's not being subtle either. He's just fangirling over Frederick. You know, he's got one ally. And that ally is going to utilize him. It is not a real ally. No, no, no. But in his eyes... So, specific officers... The Orlov brothers, they were five brothers, and it sounds kind of boy bandish to me, um, but they were good-looking and charming. There was Gregory, Ivan, Alexis, Fyodor, and Vladimir. I want to, like, do some moves. I want a dog <laughs> named Vladimir. <laughs> Fyodor. That reminds me of chipmunks. Fyodor. Yeah. That sounds more macho. <laughs> well, uh, Gregory himself, war hero, unbelievably handsome, breaker of hearts, winner of tavern brawls, and 100% triangular, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he was said that he was had the head of an angel and the body of an athlete. So What's he's the lead singer of the boy band. <laughs> All kinds of useful amen. Yeah, we got it. Now, meanwhile, Elizabeth was getting sicker and sicker. All those years of partying, lack of sleep, eating poorly were all catching up to her. She collapsed at Sarsky Silo one day and was put on a very strict regimen. It was probably menopause in addition to all this hard living, but they treated her for hysteria. There's air quotes there. Now, that's something that lasted, well, I mean, right up to the beginning of the 1900s. They used this hysteria. Well, we they, talked about that in Lydia Pinkham. Exactly. Doctors, exactly. ew, didn't want to talk about that. No, business. no. they did. Well, they didn't think that it was chemical, and they didn't think that they didn't know that it was all centered on her ovaries. But one of the cures for her, one of the cures that was given to her, was that she needed to evacuate two to three times a day. Essentially, she was given a laxative that was dipped in marmalade and swallowed with lime blossom tea at bedtime. 
When you're already feeling kind of gross and sick, I'm sure a poo fountain is exactly what you I want. Know, like, but the marmalade probably in the lime blossom tea, that sounds really good. But she had no dairy, no pastries. She had to exercise. And for about a year, she was doing this get sick, rebound, get sick, rebound thing. So nobody knew. They knew her. she was getting toward the ends of her life. But they didn't know exactly when it was going to happen because she kept coming back. But Elizabeth did die on January 5th, 1762. Was it time, allies? Was it time? What about all those plans? Alas, alas. Catherine was some months pregnant with Orlov's child. That dang biology again. So Catherine held back her allies. No, it is not time. And Peter actually became the emperor. He became the emperor despite his behavior at Elizabeth's funeral. The carriage is carrying her down the street. And he's like playing and skipping and running up and running back. And like ding dong, the witch is dead. I'm not even joking. I know, exactly. Dancing around in a funeral procession. And he ordered celebrations. Let's drink now that we can be free. I know. And meanwhile, Catherine showed herself respectful Mm -hmm. and dutiful by praying by the side of the empress's body for six weeks. Think about that for a moment. Yeah, that her body for six weeks. Nasal fortitude. Yeah, her crown had to be screwed to her head. Mm. (laughs) The things that I remember. Yeah, I don't grow. Sometimes you come across little details like that that people just throw in, and you're just like, really? I could have done without that. (laughs) Sorry. No, that's. But I thought it was kind of grossly no, that cool. That is grossly cool. That's one of those things, though, where I had to pause and go. Mm, Peter pulled the Russian troops out of the war with Prussia, declaring before rooms full of people who had lost relatives and friends in the war, Frederick the Great was not our enemy, and demanding that toast be drunk to Frederick's health. The army would have to get on board with dressing like the Prussian ones now and drilling like them, too. Their enemy from five minutes ago. Oh, no, he was not very popular with the military. No, he wasn't very popular with anybody. He pissed off the church. I mean, just as almost as fast as he was getting the army upset with him, he brought in Lutheran clergy. Uh, Remember, this is a guy that never has accepted anything Russian. So he brought in Lutheran clergy. He took church land and gave some of it to Frederick. What? (laughs) And then he ordered all religious icons, except the Virgin Mary, taken out of the churches. Priests have to cut their beards off and dress like Lutherans now. Mm -hmm. More plain. No ostentation. And the common people did not hate him necessarily this part though did touch them they were so bewildered by this because really they never saw too much of his cockamamie behavior to them he's you know peter who's going to be the next emperor but the icon removal really touched people and got him a little bit like janked they were just like oh no no not our icons it was very important to them and this is the plan that he came up with he had all this time to come up with a plan and this is it well, and he tried to humiliate Catherine on every occasion. In fact, she had to pin this high honor, this high honor that was reserved for royalty, on Vorinsova's heaving, vomit-stained breast. <laughs> At one point, she handled herself very well. Um, in fact, one of the ambassadors wrote back to his boss, Catherine bears her humiliation more nobly and is more loved by the people than ever. 
But look at this situation. This is kind of bad. Peter had Saltikoff. Do you remember him from part one? Original baby daddy, baby daddy of his heir, Paul, brought back and was trying to force him to admit he was Paul's father because that was reason enough to legitimately divorce her. Peter did not want Paul as his heir anyway. He even went back to the old stand by Ivan, still in prison, and was now telling everyone, I'm not actually even Ivan. I'm just some guy. I'm an imposter. I'm not the real Ivan anymore. I used to be the real Ivan, and now I'm a fake Ivan. Well, Saltikov held out. But, you know, it was his life. If he said Mm -hmm. he had cuckolded the emperor, it was his life. So he had a, a little bit of personal interest in not copying to the fact that he's Paul's father. Let me tell you, he's not being honorable. Um, anyway, Catherine was relatively on the DL, delivered of a son, her second son, Alexis Grigorovich. And can I please tell you that as soon as Catherine went into labor, her valet set fire to his own house at the opposite end of the community so that Peter and his cockamamie courtiers would rush out and not hear the birth. That's loyalty. Yeah. His family raised that son, by the way. Uh, That's a very important family to Catherine. So now she's unencumbered, so to speak, and recovered and determined. And now, my friends, it was on. And now it is time to take a little break. And when we come back, oh, ho, what is going to happen? How powerful are we going to be? Stay tuned. I want you to think back to the last two months. How changed are you? I know I am. Changed in ways that I never would have imagined. And one of the ways that I'm changing is I'm taking some classes on Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands, thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people just like you and me. You can explore new skills. You can deepen existing passions. You can get lost in your creativity. You can take classes in creative writing or filmmaking, maybe graphic design or illustration. I've taken several classes, but the one I'm taking right now that's really hitting home, it's called Simple Productivity, How to Accomplish More with Less. And I am learning essentialism. The teacher, author Greg McGowan, got me with the first lesson. He said, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Ah, so I have my reasons for taking Skillshare classes, but you may have different ones. Maybe you want to branch out for your job. Maybe you want to fulfill your promise to yourself to keep a journal of the history that we're living through. Well, you can take classes in journaling or drawing. What are you going to be like in two months? Skillshare wants you to explore all of the classes that they have to offer, as well as your creativity. So they're giving you two free months of premium membership if you go to Skillshare.com slash chicks for two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of those classes for free. You can get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com slash chicks. That is two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes at Skillshare.com slash chicks. And we're back. Can you believe this journey so far? Catherine had retreated to Peterhof to stay out of the orbit of her husband, who was obviously gearing up to do something desperate. He was determined, against the will of the vast majority of the military, to lead them himself into battle in Denmark. 
Not even for <laughs> Russia, but for Holstein interests. I'm sure that went over super well. He was two days away from this fight, and soldiers, you know, they kept trying to call in sick, as it were. <laughs> like, I can't go. I'm desperately ill. And he ordered, you will heal yourself. I have decreed it. Orlov had done his work by bribery and liquor and propaganda and the force of his own personality to smooth Catherine's way. She'd been receiving correspondence and making plans for months. And then one night, sleeping again, poor Catherine, she gets woken up out of her sleep a lot. They came to her. One of her allies had been arrested. They saw some of the correspondence. They had to act now. Now is the time. There's no going back at this point. Unfortunately, Peter was only 30-some miles away with 1,500 presumably loyal Holstein troops. Google Maps says this is a 49-minute trip, so I really don't know how it takes 49 minutes to go 30 miles, but maybe it's a speed limit situation with modern day. So <laughs> There's a uh, couple roundabouts. <laughs> maybe. Well, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. It's not what we planned. These troops so close, but he's probably drunk, you know, being the middle of the night and all. So let's head to the Capitol. Let's do it now. Hell for leather is how they rode to the Capitol. Hell for leather mm. with the hairdresser. You know, you can't have bedhead and lead a revolution. No, but she did specify that her hair not be powdered. Right. Be dressed simply and not powdered because she's a woman of the people. Image is everything, And you guys. she had really pretty hair. That's true. <laughs> so it was time. Orloff did join her just outside the Capitol. Uh, now, these regiment names, I'm going to do the best I can. I did not ask Dimitri about the regiment names. Hmm. So it's not his fault if I mess them up. To the Ismailovsky Regiment, who poured out to greet her in her plain black dress, Matushka, they called out, and which means little mother, and they bowed and kneeled, and some kissed the hem of her skirt. And so we come full circle with people kissing the hems of people's garments, okay. <laughs> like little tiny Catherine and the old king of Prussia. That's right. As if playing a game, what is that game of tag where one person is it, and then you touch the next guy, and the next guy's it also. I think it's called infection, charmingly. They're all it. It's an all skate. That happened as the soldiers followed her to the next regiment, and the next more and more men joined the parade. Horse guards, imperial bodyguards, a priest to lead the procession to the palace. That's a little image control for you. The artillery regiment, see, we're thinking of everything had promised not to fire. That's a key thing to line up. You can have as many men as you want, but if the cannons shoot at you, well, we're going to run away, probably. Yeah. Or it'll slow you down at least a bit so you can get some more people. Yeah, but, you know, you could take the heart out of people by shooting a cannon through the middle of them. I don't know. Like I know. (laughs) Um, Well, the senators, who Peter had in a lack of common sense, forbidden from making any decisions without his express approval. They didn't object at all. They had nobles yes. that could have well, raised some men. Peter did such a great job of taking off everybody, you know, except his mistress and the people that were sucking up to him. But even then, this is called reaping what you sow. Yeah. Yo. Yo. Mm-hmm. So by morning, she was proclaimed empress by a high official of the church in front of a large crowd of witnesses with her son, Paul, by her side. That was part of the plan. Somebody's getting a hold of Paul and spiriting him out of where he was because he's a key element. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a blood relation. And there was some question whether she was going to just be the regent for him. But at this point, it's just an illusion. He needs to be with her, that he's part of the team. 
By morning, it was clear to the citizens of the capital that they had a new mistress. I think there must have been confusion. Was Peter dead? Did Catherine and her men take the country by force? Has there been a battle? You'll note this didn't seem to trouble anyone. There was no rioting or protest. Now there were 40,000 soldiers patrolling the streets. That could prevent some rioting and protests. Sure. That helped. She drafted and sent her declaration of power to all possible corners of the country. It was a really beautiful piece for having been written so quickly of political speaking. She promised everything. She promised to return the church to its supreme power that Peter had taken away. Um, She promised to bring glory back to Russia by breaking alliances with Prussia that Peter had put in place. You know, she said... Everything that she had been planning, which was everything that Peter didn't do. <laughs> Henry agrees. Let me just read you the first sentence and the last sentence of that declaration. We, by the grace of God, Catherine II, empress and autocrat of all the Russias. She listed all the things that Susan had said. This has happened. This has happened. Russia's been betrayed. Look what <laughs> Peter has done. So the last sentence is, for these reasons, because of the danger imperiling all our loyal subjects, we believed ourselves under obligation with God's help and guided by his justice and prompted by the evident and sincere desire of our faithful subjects to ascend the sovereign throne of all the Russias upon on which all our loyal subjects have sworn their allegiance to us. Dun, dun, dun. She's not playing. No. She's saying Russia's been the victim of a crime. Mm-hmm. And she's here to fix it. Then there was a lot to organize. News made it to Peter. Just rumors. Something to do with his wife. Ugh. You know, gr- uh, his wife. I gotta Ugh. deal with her. Ugh. He sent one man. What is the deal? Just go tell me. Uh, of course, he gets to the capital and was promptly ushered away to swear an oath of loyalty to Catherine. Two trusted members of his court came afterward, including the same Alexander Shuvalov, who was in the room for her trial, that little hall in the middle of the night <laughs> trial. Same thing. Um, none of my dudes are coming back. He's, <laughs> he kind of slowly started to notice this. Catherine set out with her loyal Princess Dashkov, both in male outfits, which I thought was fabulous. I know. I love how she put on the... the uh Uniform. The military uniform. Why did I write so fetch? Maybe I meant fetching. Or maybe I was channeling Mean Girls. Yeah. It's fetch. Well, it's fetch or fetching. I don't really know. (laughs) And she led the guard off to confront the emperor, or former emperor, as they should say. It should be noted that different soldiers donated parts of their uniforms to the cause of outfitting her in military uniform. And one piece of insignia, this sword knot was given by a man named Gregory Potemkin. That's a cameo. That's right. If this was a movie, it would be somebody walking by the screen and looking into the camera, looking forward and walking away. You need to notice him. You'll see him later. But for now, Peter's situation was chaos and disloyalty and misinformation. He hadn't made the right plans. For one, his Holstein soldiers only had their prop swords, the wooden ones. The ones they used when he drilled them in the parade ground. They didn't know they had to bring the real ones. His refuge fortress repelled him after he yelled up, it's your emperor. I'm, you know, I'm here. Open for your emperor. And they're like, we don't have an emperor. We have an impress. <laughs> and your mother smells bilderberries. <laughs> no, they didn't say that last <laughs> The shock was too much for him, not to mention the news that Catherine was headed his way with 14,000 men. And he wrote out his abdication. He took all the blame for the downturn of the country with him. Him as its head. Willingly? I don't know. Maybe he thought abjectness was his best friend at this point. Well, he'd sent her some letters, you know, basically, you know, a little post, you know, saying, oh, I'm so sorry I screwed up. Please forgive me. You know, and no. 
Forget it. She didn't answer him. Well, he renounced the throne forever in that note. So off he went to a summer palace called Roksha, um, temporary, he thought, his prison guarded by a few hundred men and one of the brothers, Alexis Orloff, brother of Gregory, as the head jailer. Peter begged to just be sent back home to Holstein, where he always wanted to be anyway. Please, Your Majesty, please just send me back. Not bloody likely. I mean, off to be near your hero, Frederick of Prussia, who might just turn you into a king again? What to do? You know, this was kind of a puzzle, really. Yeah, I, Ivan was one thing in, you know, in prison for his entire life, but Peter alive was, I mean, even though he was a doofus, if he got the right people behind him, he could be potentially dangerous. He could do what Catherine had done. Maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he could hope to do what Catherine had done. Well, somebody could puppet him into it. Oh, well, you know, someone true. far wiser than him. Not hard to find a person <laughs> smarter than Peter. Uh, one night, as Peter was playing his violin, he had a severe case of hemorrhoids and died. Okay, no, he didn't really. That was the official statement. But in truth, he was strangled by a team most likely led by the Orlovs, who had sent Catherine two notes. The first one said, we fear something might happen to him. And the second one said, the monster is dead. Okay, so this is a case of two completely different takes on what happened then. I kind of love that. Okay, so the similarity is what actually happened in the room, likely not hemorrhoids, we can agree on that. (laughs) It kind of remains in the realm of mystery. I read that a hysterical note came to Catherine from Alexis Orloff that Peter was dead. Hysterical meaning, holy crap, something happened. Please don't kill me. Oh, uh uh-huh. I hate to tell you this. We effed up, and he's dead. They say he got in a fight with his keeper, a drunken brawl, perfectly legitimate, Mm character-wise. You know, logic will tell you that the Orlovs probably did it. Yes. But the hysterical note... I thought that was a cover. Poorly written. May have been a cover. Yeah. But he was messed up, because I think... I think Alexis did it on purpose, or whoever, ordered it done on purpose, and then realized that he is the fall guy. Oh. That he's going to be the stooge. Mm -hmm. Therefore wrote the hysterical note. So I think it all fits in. It's me. It's on me. Yeah. And you guys were sly. That was pretty sly. Why... Oh, my God. <laughs> well, Catherine was okay. I mean, because she, she did order an autopsy to find out if he had been poisoned. Because that is probably what happened. <laughs> yeah, and they there was no poison detected, so it must have been hemorrhoids. That kind of became a joke all over Europe. I mean, like a dark joke. Nobody really laughed. But anytime anybody, say, you know, was executed for treason, they would say he died of hemorrhoids, <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know. <laughs> So it didn't look good. Whatever this was, was he strangled on purpose? Did Catherine order his murder? Which pretty much everyone agrees she didn't. Was he strangled? And was he strangled on purpose in a drunken brawl in the heat of the moment? But, oh my, whatever it was, it did not look good. Peter's body was displayed, as per usual, lying in state in a Holstein uniform with a curiously large cravat on his neck, (laughs) which is what? Bruise, probably? We or think cut. maybe it had hemorrhoids on it. It's right. Hemorrhoids have to be in the nether region. I'm not a hemorrhoid expert. I'm not either. I doubt they appear on I your mean, neck. I don't on the outside. Are they just called some type of bruises somewhere else? I I don't know. My my medical knowledge is really bad. <laughs> well, he was not buried with the other czars. After all, he'd never been crowned. 
But he was buried in a secondary location. Uh, Europe reacted strongly and negatively to his death. Not so much that anyone believed she ordered it. I mean, it really wasn't that. But that she had placed about her such ruthless men as this. Poor judgment. Our barbarian in a wild country. You know, we're going back to Ivan the Terrible here. Now, are we? Great. All hell's going to break loose, isn't it? Again, that's Europe. You know, Europe's like, ah. And Empress Elizabeth had left her with monetary problems, and soon there'd be no money to pay the army. Crops failed, little rebellions broke out everywhere, crime increased a little bit. Many, as we say now, pundits gave her less than a year to rule. Yeah. But she moved on as if none of this chaos was happening. She set down the plan she had for Russia, rule of law with no one above it, no more of this fearful rule of an empress or an emperor who could not be relied on to act the same way twice. I want the laws obeyed, and I don't want slaves, she said. She referred quite a bit to humans being selfish and greedy by nature. <laughs> She's a pessimist in that way, I guess. <laughs> and so that society had to be the structure to prevent them from devolving to the least common denominator. Although I don't think she said denominator. Yeah. <laughs> to save them from themselves, I do think is what she wrote. Right. All these philosophers, Voltaire said, here's another Voltaire quote for you. It's dangerous to be right in matters where established men are wrong. That's a good one. Her good intentions clear. Catherine turned her attention to her coronation. That's insurance because during a coronation you are anointed meaning god approves yeah it combines religion and politics and tradition you go to the kremlin in moscow and you have this big ceremony that's religious and it says at the end i'm acting for god which is something that peter never did and thus his secondary burial so uh she was crowned in the assumption cathedral on the diamond throne of Tsar Alexis, who was the second Romanov ruler that Russia ever had. And it was a four-hour ceremony. We need to cement this situation. Catherine crowned herself, because that's the tradition. Mm -hmm. This isn't new. Um, But the crown was new. A new crown featuring a... 390 carat ruby. It was nine pounds. This It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. 2,500 diamonds, 38 roses that are made out of pearls. It was just made for her. I wrote galaxies of pearls. Galaxies of pearls. And also for the geologist, Janet, this is for you because you already got after me about this. Yes, I know it's not a ruby. I know it's a spinel. Everyone else is going to say it's a ruby. <laughs> Except you and any geologist. Okay. So we know. That's right. Can you believe that a friend and I have literally had this conversation? Yes. I'm sure there was wine involved. Maybe some Prosecco. Some people talk about Real Housewives. I talk about geological <laughs> gemstone <laughs> designations. Oh, I'm a nerd. I love that she picked she picked up the orb that they couldn't find the original orb that she was supposed to with orb interceptor. So they couldn't find the orb, so they had to have one made a couple of weeks before. <laughs> you know what it sounded like you said? What? The orb interceptor. Oh. I was like, what's an orb interceptor? I don't know, but that sounds like something for a comic book. Well Catherine distributed gifts. Titles and honors, all the Orlov brothers became counts, for example, and 120 barrels of coins to be thrown by handfuls to all the common people in the street. All of this on credit, of course. Of course. But what a positive spectacle this was. They were special coins. It was like, it was like doubloons in a Mardi Gras parade. They were just, you know, they were made just for this particular 
event. You could buy stuff with them too. Like yeah. bread. Unlike the Mardi Gras from a Mardi yeah. <laughs> It only took 10 days for the first conspiracy to come to light. Catherine was distressed by how greedy everybody was, how everyone elbowed people aside to try to get more stuff and more glory. All of her ambitious projects for improvement were just baffled by committees. You know how that goes. We've all been on a PTA for brief periods of time. Actually, it, no. I know. I have stay-at-home mom. I've never been to a PTA or PTO meeting ever in my life. I salute you. Thank you. It is really hard to rule a people used to such ways of going on that you're paid by graft or you're paid. You do a little thing. You do a little dance. You get a little thing. I don't know. She didn't want it to be that way anymore. But the French ambassador wrote back to his boss that Catherine was fearful of holding the power she'd seized and the people were gleefully taking advantage of her left and right. And her looks were beginning to fade, he made sure to point out. Now, she's all at 33. Yeah, and it's been not very much time. You know, the presidents, though, kind of fall apart kind of fast. Our president. Our current president, I think he looks very distinguished with his silver gray hair. I know, but he has fallen down the age progression. I mean, still, he's a very good looking man. Yeah, that's a lot of stress. So she had to reactivate the secret police, which she was really regretful. She didn't want to do that, but, you know, just out of self-defense. She gave the church lands back to them just to pacify that section of society, though their greed for worldly possessions really disturbed her. And she began making plans for, number one, taking that stuff back, and number two, (laughs) making them help with educating the populace and helping feed the poor. There was a great objection from the church. What are we, employees now? Seriously. Catherine ended up having to seize all their property again just to get money to operate. Yeah. But but her plans were so 180 from the way it had been always, the traditions. You know, and people were, of course, expecting their cut of the pie because that's what people do. Well, see, what she's constantly running up against for maybe the first 10 years of her reign even was the difference between theory, that's all the books you've read, and reality with all that messy human interference. She had this optimistic view of how things should be, and she's just not reckoning with how deeply entrenched this kickback system was or the fact that wealth was literally measured in the number of serfs you had. Which, by this time, were treated no better than animals. No, and there's 8 million of them in Russia. 500,000 belonged to the crown. 500,000 serfs that she wants to get rid of belong to her her operation. You know, 2 million belong to the state and a million to the church. 5.5 million to nobility. And this is the backbone that has built this country. They were just property. Like, for example... Attractive girl serfs were often given to house guests for their use during a visit, like a hairbrush. A lucky serf, get this, might have been given the job of standing by one door in a house to open it forever, like a piece of furniture. And that's a lucky one. He's inside, and nobody's hitting him, ideally. You couldn't kill one, but if your punishment resulted in him dying later, c'est la vie. Literally, c'est la vie. (laughs) Yeah. Catherine gathered hundreds, hundreds of representatives, it's called the Legislative Commission, from most layers of society to help her draft the new laws for her ideal Russia, one of structure and help for the poor and basic human rights. And she declared she wanted Russia to be a truly European country. Well, it hadn't been changed since Peter the Great. And even then, it was still kind of, um, I don't want to say barbaric or backwater, but it kind of was given... You know, what Europe was doing and what Russia was doing, 
She took all the trouble to write pages of instructions for these men to consider while drafting the new, we'll call it maybe like a constitution, although that's not the word they used. 22 chapters, 655 different little tiny manifestos, many plagiarized from philosophers and political tacticians, I will say. She didn't come up with them completely on her own. With such radical ideas as innocent until proven guilty. Hmm. To prevent crime, reward virtue. Each man should put his selfish desires aside for the sake of the common good. So, you know, these radical, crazy thoughts. It's like this level of laying out the law. Yeah. And Catherine left them, confident that between them they'd create this masterpiece for her. Infighting, what's in it for me, the use, I mean. However, her words, her instructions were translated and sent all over Europe to great Acclaim. Even Frederick the Great said she was worthy of great admiration. So the, her people <laughs> aren't seeing the brilliance of this plan that the rest of the world is. This thing, this manifesto was banned in France as dangerously radical material. Now, we know what happened to them about three decades later <laughs> for not listening, don't we? Yeah. Conspiracies abounded, though, to overthrow her, to kill Orloff, who many believed had too much influence over her policy, which is why, despite their history and her dependence on him, she never married him. I think he was the kind of guy that, given the excuse of husbandhood, might well have pushed his wife into the background. I don't. Was it even an, something she would have entertained after having had the kind of marriage that she had and knowing the kind of power that a husband could have, even though she was the ruler she was supposed to be? Would she even have entertained the thought of marrying him? I don't know, because, I mean... Really, she owed her crown to him and his brother. I mean, really, she oh, really did. So sure. maybe there was a bit of a pull. Well, she never did it, so no. obviously she didn't entertain it seriously. Right, right. Even though, at one point, he gave her the world's largest diamond, 189-carat diamond that someone literally pulled off the forehead of his statue in India. That's uncool. Okay, A, that's uncool. It's a pretty cool diamond. Um, It's actually in the crown jewels of Russia even now. It's called the Orloff Diamond, and it's a giant... I mean, it is like a golf ball-sized diamond. Here, I stole this for you. I stole this off the forehead of a It's like the little statue. kid, you know, with the flowers that they pick at the neighbor's house. Hmm. But they're for you, Mom. Well, he didn't steal it, but he bought it no, off the guy no, that did. No, no, Well, one such conspiracy to free our old friend Ivan from prison and set him up as the drooling mascot emperor again resulted in that old standing order coming into play. Elizabeth had this order in place. If anybody comes to get him out of here, kill Ivan. Then Peter did the same thing. And now Catherine's going to prison and seeing him. Let's just keep it in place. If somebody tries to get him out, kill Ivan. Somebody tried to get him out, so they killed Ivan. And now Catherine had a reputation for killing two legitimate heirs to the throne. Ah, dang. (laughs) Grumbling and rumbling on the home front. Oh, my goodness. No, what is a surefire way to get back in the country's good graces? That would be war. The Turks were irritated by Russia's involvement with their neighbor, Poland, boyfriend number two. Poniatowski was made the king of Poland, for example. Catherine jumped gleefully into war. We always come out of a war more flourishing than we went into it. Not to mention political astuteness that having a common outside enemy brings a country together like nothing else. That's a smart lady. Well, plus she's trying to increase the size of Russia. You know, she's trying to increase Russia's footprint. She even brought the smack talk. As her troops' successes mounted, she said, Sultan Mustafa is so unmanned by our ferocity that all the poor man can do is cry. 
In an episode that should remind everyone listening of Queen Elizabeth of England and the Spanish Armada, a tiny number of Russian naval ships boxed in this larger number of Turkish vessels and sent in fire ships, decimating the enemy and breaking the Turks. And Catherine was viewed as a heroine. But as the war went on and the treasury grew smaller, the country kind of grew a little bit tired of... Of that situation. And now, as always, there was an opposition party in the house, but now they had a focus. Paul, Catherine's son, who had reached 18 and married his own German princess, and more importantly, was male. And blood. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, on paper. I, I actually just wrote that my very next sentence, hilarious, was no one was genuinely under the impression that he had Russian royal blood any more than his mother did. But Catherine was ruled by this Gregory Orloff. This, like, who is that? A soldier that thinks he's the boss of everybody. Yeah, he was her right-hand guy, her left-hand guy, her everybody part guy. Mm, <laughs> so to speak. And his brothers came with him, and they did a very good job of keeping people away from Catherine and keeping their places in the inner circle as the inner circle. Well, yes, a super charm-filled... <laughs> I guess you'd call him a war hero named Potemkin. <gasps> second cameo, only a cameo, second cameo, was circling and making waves in the court, and the Orlovs sent him away as a dangerous influence. And according to one story without an eye, it's it's a story. I'm not saying that it's fact. Well, it's a fact that but, he doesn't have an eye. Yeah, and that he lost it because the, the Orlovs asked him to play pool, and then beat the crap out of him and knocked his eye out with a pool cue. Dang. I know. So he went back to the safety of the army because, <laughs> you know, being at court is very dangerous, but being in the army is safe. That's probably <laughs> true. But he's, he was able to establish himself as a brave, smart military hero and helped Catherine fulfill her plans to expand the country. So the Orlov situation was getting out of control. They were bad PR. They were bad PR. They'd been bad PR all along. But, you know, when you owe somebody the crown, you can't really ditch them right away. But now they had kind of gone a little too far with all their arrogance and their situation. And Catherine had the right plan for this situation, too. She had been thinking about things. After 11 years, she broke up with Orlov. Whoa. No, no one saw that coming. Broke up with him, sent him away, and replaced him in her affections, at least, with a man 15 years younger than herself. So hee-heeing, you know, just like now, but whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah, but Gregory landed okay. I mean, she did pay him off. Well, yeah. Here's another problem for her that she didn't quite know how to deal with, because how weird is this? Pretenders to the identity of Peter, who we all saw... Super dead in a giant cravat. Did we not see him? I don't know. But pretenders began to pop up quite regularly. Um, some more successful than others. One in particular named Pugachev, a peasant from what is now the Ukraine. He gathered 20,000 followers and was a medium level threat to stability, if not the throne. He said that he was Peter, that he hadn't gotten killed, that he had run off. Nobody had seen Peter. He was only... You know, it had the crown for a very short period of time. So if somebody claimed to be him and they had the arrogance and the clothes and yeah. the followers. Although, you know, he didn't look nothing like Peter. You know, he was short and stocky, unkept black hair and a beard. He was missing most of his teeth because he was a soldier. He'd been sent to war several times, although the last time he 
defected. He ran away. I know. It started out as kind of like a, he's a what? This actor is walking around pretending. But you know what? People are tricked by circuses. Well, they're tricked by circuses that are going the way that they want to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd like someone to lead a rebellion. And there's this guy standing up ready to do it. So, yeah, okay, we'll follow him. Why not? What have I personally got to lose? Yeah, it got pretty terrible, and there was a point where they thought they might not be able to really put the brakes on this guy. Yeah, they were going from village to village, pillaging and murdering and raping the women and stealing as much stuff as they could. And they'd go to the next village, and they are gaining followers at every village that they go to, the ones that they don't kill. I was going to say, I think I'd have to follow at least for a while. I know, that's right. Be like, yeah, I'm on your side. <laughs> and then just to hide behind a tree once you're a couple miles out of town. I really have to pee. I'll catch Circle up back. to you guys. <laughs> um, so the war, the imposters, her son, the nobles, this country. Catherine needed more companionship and, frankly, more help than her current boyfriend could give her. The court openly called this the equivalent of, like, a trophy wife, whereupon he would cry, oh, come on, oh, come on. I have to say it's been challenging to try to fit in Catherine's accomplishments during this first part of her rule. It's, like, hard to know where to put him. So what if we just kind of list them all together before we move on? Because we don't want you to take lightly her achievements. This is a big machine to have to move in any direction at all. Other than chaos, which yeah. is, seems like you could just flick that with your finger and get that going. So um, we already talked about her attempts at reforming law. That's kind of committee stymied. So she backed off and went small cities, outlying outposts, um, some success in reforming local governments. She established schools for orphans and impoverished youth. Her plan was to educate girls into becoming proper women who would then become cultured, graceful mothers who would raise the next generation of Russians. She opened up hospitals. We've got schools. We've got government. All really quickly. Well, and she thought that reading is the key to overcoming being chained to superstition, which I agree. Education is a great way to escape superstition. I agree. The Smolny Institute for Girls was very famous. Uh, 500 young women from the ages of 5 to 17. A girls' school. You guys, that's... They weren't getting educated maybe the same way the men are. But that really took... That was radical. <laughs> she was in a meeting. And no one knew where this place was that they were talking about. No one knew. She's like, what part of the country is this in? Everybody's like, hmm, somewhere. Mm-hmm. She couldn't believe it. She gave someone a coin and said, go buy a map. Oh, my goodness. Go to the store and buy a map. And so they came back, and the map was kind of whack and incomplete. And so she organized complete mapping and census-taking of her whole country to get a handle on what exactly she had and what she was facing. And thanks to that, we can tell you that there was 8 million serfs in Russia. When, <laughs> you know, and what was it, 1764? Well, she heard rumors that there was price gouging going on in the grain market, and so she established imperial granaries where she could control the price all over the country so that the peasantry and the villages would not be subject to the whims of the people who held the power of the granaries. We're not going to play this stupid game anymore. She built new towns. Um, She encouraged skilled immigration from other countries. To that point... Skilled craftsmen and skilled farmers to teach Russians how to do things better and then open factories based on the information from the people she brought in to teach them. 
factories that were built by surf labor. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just going to be the thorn in her side for an entire reign. Is she would really love to get rid of that entire program. I mean, a program. What's the word I want? That, it is a program. Yeah, she, that the way that society was built on their backs, she really wanted to get away from it and just wasn't able to make it happen. But she For was her. able to keep a lot of them alive because she brought the smallpox vaccine to Russia and she did her research. I mean, this is world research. She's, she's going outside of Russia and finding things that are happening in this world and bringing them back to Russia. There was a, high mortality rate from smallpox. She had read about the vaccine and she offered herself as the lead to show her people the safety and effectiveness. And boom, she got it. She didn't die. She didn't get smallpox, but the vaccine spread and she was able to save a lot of lives of her people because of it. Do you remember, gosh, I barely remember this. Do you remember like episode, is it three that we did Abigail Adams? Mm -hmm. Abigail Adams also was very brave. And got her children inoculated with smallpox ahead of the curve mm-hmm. on that deal to show people that it was a useful thing. I mean, that was like the scariest. I mean, that's brand new science. Yeah. That was so scary. But the two of the people we've talked about now yeah. have been so brave and have gone against common wisdom and gotten their families inoculated. And you have to remember, we're talking about the same time period. Oh, it's the exact same time. Exactly. Yeah. And she's got the same, she's using the same source material to come up with her plans that Thomas Jefferson is using to come up with the Declaration of Independence. I mean, she was, and actually she was ahead of him by nine years. <laughs> so people started to regard Russia. Let me quote. The author, Carolee Erickson here, of, quote, a major power with a fearsome army led by an enlightened philosopher empress of astounding gifts. It was a land of promise. The image change alone in this short time is worthy of great admiration. And now is probably a good time to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the rest of her reign and things she left behind. And we are back. The world had a crack in it for a new power about now. King George over in England was having trouble with these pesky colonists making some kind of ruckus in this place called America. France was experiencing a changing of the guard, some new king with a wife named Marie Antoinette. It's time to take your place on the stage, Catherine, but not with Weepy McWeeperson by your side. Catherine wrote to this intriguing man who'd been at court just recently, a man named Gregory Potemkin who we've already met in two short little cameos. We told you to remember him. So he wrote back, of course, after his invitation to court. He knew what was being offered, and I think there'd been some chemistry last time through. And he taxed her with having had too many lovers in her life. Like, I don't know if I'm coming. Fifteen, is it now? Okay. Mm. Nonsense. She said, don't believe everything you're hearing. That's right. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Yeah. Five, she said. I'm at five, including the husband. Those are the ones we've even talked about. And all in a row, serial monogamy. And it's none of your business. (laughs) Some were mistakes. Some weren't. The end. And too right. If this had been a king, nobody would have even batted an eye so far. Um, Marie Antoinette's husband, in fact, caused consternation for not having a mistress. (laughs) What's wrong with you? 
Yeah. So even if the higher number had been true, so what? But just to show how the world had to start up the rumor mill and teehee about everything, we're not about to do that. Not yet. So their steamy correspondence became a very steamy in-person relationship. They would have powwows, accent on the wow, in bathhouses. They stuck together right from the get-go. There was that same thing that she had early on. She was able to get some intellectual and physical stimulation from the same person. Now, Potemkin was a mystery. He was like an alien being dropped from the sky. General astonishment was how one how one book put it. He was kind of wrecked up from all his battles. Not classically handsome, ruggedly handsome. Perhaps. He had the machismo about him. He was missing an eye, even. Big, rough, super intelligent, would weigh you up and judge you. And uh, if he respected you, you really felt like you would earn something, I think. He, he favored not military outfits, but caftans, almost like a bathrobe. And long, unpowdered hair. He was just a mysterious figure. He was a soldier, but didn't swagger. No one could figure him out. And I have the perfect mental picture for everyone except Susan. No, I know now. You showed me it on your phone. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's a Harry Potter reference. It may be my first of the series. I don't know. But Professor Moody comes in and messes up the ceiling of the Great Hall and makes an entrance. The courtiers were like, oh, my, we must pay attention. Thus began a relationship that one book I read referred to as one of the most epic love stories the world has ever known. Whole books have been written about nothing but this relationship, so we couldn't possibly go as far into it as they could. No, but they saw eye to eye on a lot of things. They fought, but then they made up, and they worked together really well. His strengths were her weaknesses. Her weaknesses were his strengths. Their love letters were pretty scorching, although mostly they just have one side of the correspondence, the side that came from her to Potemkin. He kept his, and she burned hers right away. (laughs) I guess it's habit. Well, yeah, she learned that early on. But, yeah, it was basically in front of everyone, like, I love you more. No, I love you more. Courtiers were like, wherefore art my barf bag? (laughs) That soppy. Um, There's something extraordinary between us, Catherine wrote, that cannot be expressed in words. The alphabet is too short. There are not enough letters in it. This is big. They called each other little wife and little husband and maybe, maybe, in 1774, in a tiny obscure church with only a couple of witnesses, Catherine may just have married this man. Probably. Seems to be the consensus that she probably married him. Um, But they kept it a romantic secret. Elizabeth had done the same. She married a peasant. Not in a secret, necessarily, but relatively secret. There was no court pageant. So either he was or he wasn't her real husband mm-hmm. at any point. But he was an excellent debater. He was an excellent statesman. He gave great advice. And early on, we had a little problem with the Bukhachev Rebellion. He's still out there, Bukhachev, pretending to be Peter, bringing up all these people, getting ready to storm in and take his rightful place on the throne. With Potemkin's military help, they came up with some plans 
First, they capture Pukachev's family to say, hey, we got your people, stop, and that didn't work. Finally, she puts a bounty on his head, and his buddies, the Cossacks, who were in his pocket for a while, suddenly turned against him and hunted him down. They capture him, and they bring him to Moscow in a cage where he's quickly sentenced to execution by being drawn and quartered. Now, this is a horrible way to die. The drawn part is you're put on a board and dragged by a horse. Then your body is chopped up into pieces disemboweled, you have four parts, and then you're beheaded. But Catherine is a very enlightened ruler, and she just <laughs> simply says, behead him, and that would be the end of the Bukhachev Rebellion. So let's go back to a tiny bit of less grossness than that. <laughs> so Mr. Potemkin was a super chess player. That's exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. You need a super chess player in an environment when you are the queen on the freaking chessboard. The reform of local governments continued with things like, hey, the police should protect people, not oppress them. Radical. Someone should fix the roads, for example. And the buck actually stopped at a certain desk for tax collecting and schools and prisons. Imagine that. There's an expectation. And guess what else? There's going to be some follow-up. Radical. Right. Consequence if it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's one thing to give the theory. It's another thing to put it in practice. Well, before it was like... Graft and I know a guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine wanted to be more linear. Sure. And she's so funny with her tactics. Here is how I like to rule remotely. I find out what the influencers think. And then I issue a law saying that's what needs to happen. And they feel so like they're part of the process. And therefore we move forward. Have you ever had a boss like that that listened to what you had to say and then imp- did it? You have to make yeah. them think it's their idea, and then they do. Right? It. Is that what you mean? No, like they listen to you, what you say, and they actually, obviously, are listening to what you say. Oh, and then they mm-hmm. they make it happen, or some version of it, and you're like, yes, I'm very smart. I love this guy. This is my favorite boss ever. I will do anything for him. It's a good tactic. Yeah. She gained new territory in the Crimea, which allowed access to the Black Sea. That's what warriors do: gain lands. New towns were laid out with services, and, oh, the people around wanted to hate that so badly. They wanted to hate it. It was new. It was weird. It had never been done before. But you know what? They kind of liked it. Having the services there, having no weird diagonal parts of town, it's clean. Hmm. It's new. It's built properly. They got kind of roads reluctantly dragged into the modern day. At one point, Catherine and Potemkin decided to go for a cruise in the new Crimea. She organized, she, <laughs> she and her people organized a group of dignitaries from Austria, Belgium, France, England. Um, it was kind of like Cleopatra's Nile cruise. You know, it's just, it's a lot of PR. There were seven ships that were manned by 3,000 oarsmen, which sounds like really plush until you realize that they were convicts chained to their oars. But, you know, that's below deck. You don't need to worry about that. Potemkin's role in this was to set up the villages along the path so that everything was clean and shiny and pretty so that they could show off what they had been doing in the country. And there's a rumor Vicious rumor, I think, that pressed for time, he simply set up false fronts, fake hearth fires for smoke and etc. But really, he was pretty efficient, even though the whole Potemkin village insult 
meaning something that's fake or only looks good from the front, is still something people say as an insult. I don't believe there was any basis in fact. I really think that once the villages were up, mm-hmm. people really did embrace them, come to live in them, and they really were a lot nicer than what they had had before. I mean, some of it was things that the villagers had done for themselves, you know, made some arches along the river with flowers on them. So that would look like it was something fake, but it was just something for the events. Like you clean your house for a party. Your house doesn't always look like that. It looks extra special. You know? I assure you, mine a house doesn't look as nice as for a party. Susan could look around right now. I don't know. I see clear table. I think it looks really good. Detritus and land. Is that some end dust there? A can? Oh, that's yeah. a good. That's a good way to make people think you cleaned your house, leave your cleaning products around, even if you don't use them. A better way is to spray the in-dust flat out right at the front door so you come in and get the in-dust smell, and then you don't have to even clean anything. That's right. I actually spray my sink with bleach. We obviously run a Potemkin house, both of us. One system that Catherine had always wanted to change was just too entrenched. Serfdom. Catherine relied on the nobles for her throne, really. This issue was just too hot-button to mess with in any significant way. And it really did grieve her as much as she participated in it. It really did grieve her. You should know, though, it's not like the next guy got rid of it either. Serfs didn't get emancipated till 1861. That's two years before our Emancipation Proclamation. So yay, Russia. So yay, Russia. But however, well, I they don't also had them longer. Yeah. So no, maybe they don't get any credit. Yeah. But I'm just saying it's not necessarily that like the next guy just went ahead and did it either. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. she did try and it was just something you couldn't, you couldn't move. Um, you had to kind of choose your battles. The passionate relationship between these two was boiling over regularly into arguments and bad feelings. The struggle. For power, we're getting in the way of their hearts, really. In fact, Catherine even said, we fight over power more than we fight about love. It was just uncomfortable. And yeah. so they, they came to an arrangement. Potemkin would leave the physical part of their relationship behind, become political assistants, mm-hmm. and nominate his replacements. <laughs> yeah, he kind of su- helped supply her with younger and younger, not so bright, but bright enough, not so ambitious, but good-looking, and very skilled at keeping the Empress happy, air quotes. Uh, supposedly, according to rumor, there was a multi-tiered vetting process for these gentlemen that involved her ladies-in-waiting. I could almost <laughs> think that falls into the flat-out situation of scurrilous rumor. Uh, yeah. But because you get a little nugget, like, new guys are cycling <laughs> through. That's true. But I think they're cycling through one by one. Yeah. We end and then we start with the next. It's not like there's a whole circus happening. But can you easily think the rumors might start? There's a circus happening. Yeah. Well, sure. It sounds like a bodice ripper, you know, those novels that some people like. Well, (laughs) this whole thing blew people's minds. But Potemkin was now his Serene Highness Prince Potemkin and was almost nearly her co-ruler at this point. Eyebrows were raised all over Europe. But remember that Louis XV had a whole village of teenage girls set aside for himself like a harem. And it was winked at. So again, I say Goose and Gander and her dudes were in their 20s and 30s, fully in their majority and couldn't get pregnant. They were also sort of voluntary, unlike Louis. 
Yeah, I know. Like, nobody is coercing. Mm-mm. One of them kind of pushed everyone over the edge a little bit. It, it reminded me of their relationship between Henry VIII and Catherine Howard. Gave him every jewel on the earth. And, and when that guy eventually died, the rumor went around, she killed him in her bed. Like, no, he had an infection in his throat. The end. How much awesomer to say that she killed him yeah. in her bed. This whole thing kind of eroded her reputation as this benevolent, enlightened, thoughtful person. I don't know why it should. Maria Theresa, mama of Marie Antoinette, was very conservative in these kind of matters. And the reality would have shocked her enough. And the rumors about made her have a heart attack. And that woman is what she would say about Catherine. That woman. But whatever. Parade of Dudes was not astute, maybe, but it was very useful personally. You know, she used to really, really, really care what the European press said about her. Um, Like reading her iTunes reviews. She used to really care what they thought. But now she pretty much doesn't care. She pretty much doesn't. She reached that age, don't we all? Oh, where you're like, I don't care. I don't care. She's a patron of the arts. Uh, Her art collection, which started out as four pieces. Uh, it's now, it grew exponentially. It's now housed at the Hermitage Museum, and it's so numerous that the curators there say if you look at everything for one minute, it'll take you fully 11 days to get through everything. Gorgeous. Yeah, the the palace itself is quite enough to see. No, yeah. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. She supported writers, became one, wrote a couple of books herself. In addition to all her memoirs, she supported architects, musicians, reformed industry, reformed government, improved education, gained territory. Her reign meant stability. The nobles wanted to call her Catherine the Great. They actually wanted to call her Catherine the Great, most wise mother of the fatherland, and she commanded that they stop. Not everyone, she said, is moved by such flattery. I think she was always a little uncomfortable with that because her goals, her lofty goals were always so much greater than she could ever hope to accomplish that she didn't ever feel like she deserved that title, the great. Maybe. Because she wanted so much more than she could get out of this place in her this isn't even dotage. I mean, she's only in her 60s. She grandmaed as much as she could. Grandchildren that she played with, played with. Where did this come from? Same thing happened to Queen Victoria, as you remember. Her grandchildren let crocodiles loose in her office, and she thought it was hilarious. Yeah. But she was never that nice with her own children. <laughs> Similarly, she was never that nice to Paul. And eventually, she's not going to be there anymore. Who is going to take over? Is it going to be one of these grandchildren? Yeah, she had, um, just like had happened to her, she had married Paul off to a German princess. Unfortunately, the first wife gave birth to a stillborn, and she died a few days later. Paul wasn't thrilled about marrying again, but she was like, buddy, um, here's some letters your wife had. She was cavorting with your best friend, so let's just hurry this little mourning process along because we need to get you married off. We need to get these heirs going. Ooh, so, that made him hate her, though. Ooh, I know. Like, seriously, this is what you're bringing up right now? He was mad. He was mad at her anyway. Yeah. Because the second he turned 18, he fully expected she would step aside. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't fully expect it. Well, he had people telling, saying, you are the rightful heir. Oh, yeah, I guess I am. I don't have the cojones to make that happen, so if she doesn't step down, <laughs> I think we're going to be rolling with the same resentful situation, <laughs> unless you topple her for me. And You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. So he didn't fully expect, but somewhere he's fully expecting, like, look, it's mine. Okay. So the fact that he might be passed over for one of his own sons, perfectly legitimate, because the empress or emperor may nominate their successor. 
that is laid down. Yeah. In tradition. She just needs to write it down and tell people. Well, <laughs> Catherine must have had some power because he was married again within a year. And this wife did indeed give Catherine the heirs that she looked for. A little bit like Elizabeth, she did take the boys away to be involved in their child rearing. She left the girls. Um, they had had 10 children. They did get to see them a whole lot more and were involved in the kids' lives a whole lot more than Catherine was involved in Paul's. Negotiations began for one of the granddaughters, Alexandra, to marry the king of Sweden, Gustavus IV, who was 17. That's a relief because a 13-year-old girl could have been married to a 70-year-old man, and that's just Fair enough. But no, he was legitimately, you know, within her high school age group. (laughs) Um, When negotiations failed at the very last minute, Catherine, I mean, at the very last minute, embarrassingly so, and how dare they, etc. Catherine suffered the first of uh, her series of strokes, apoplexy. Is what they called it, which is a way better word anyway. I think so. Courtiers were, as one source said, gravely concerned about the succession as well they should be. We saw how transfer of power works around here. It's never smooth. It's not good. She was ill for weeks. Not herself at all. Modern doctors might say she'd sustained some brain damage from the stroke. She was cursing in front of people and didn't have her usual bonhomie and didn't remember anyone's names and was a little bit angrier than we've seen her in public. On November 5th, 1796, age 67. 67. That is very young. Her servants found her on the floor of her bathroom, where she had obviously had another stroke, and died the very next day. It was the end of an era. Most Russians had never known another ruler. That's pretty scary. Yeah, especially since they know that it's going to have to be Paul. She actually had written down a name of her successor, but nobody saw it. Paul suspected that it wasn't him and ordered all of her papers burned. First thing he does after that is he has his father's body dug up and moved to be buried next to Catherine's as if they had been co-rulers. This gets dirtier. Lying in state. Next to, since Peter's body was never embalmed, dust in a coffin. That's Peter now. He crowned the dust, because then, and only then, could Peter be buried properly, as Tsar should be buried. So after lying in state together with that husband of hers that she hadn't seen in so long, Catherine's body was placed in a tomb beside her husband, Peter, a final insult from Paul, the son that resented her so much, I do believe. The crowning of him posthumously and everything, the public saw that as pretty disrespectful. Yeah, she was, I mean, she wasn't hated. She wasn't hated. And this was like, what is this now? You've just crowned this pile of dust now and moved him, her bitterest enemy. Like, she'd written her memoirs. They're out there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The tormentor of her youth, and now you're burying him next to her forever. (laughs) Oh, that's really respectful. He took over and he was so unpopular that he was assassinated five years later and his son who'd participated in the coup, although I don't think he went as far as assassination, he certainly wanted his father off Mm -hmm. the throne. Hmm. As did several other people. So So there's an elephant in the room or is there a horse in the room? Oh, snap! There is a rumor that has lasted as long as let them eat cake that Catherine the Great died because she just couldn't be satisfied by men anymore and needed to try things out with a horse. 
in the bedroom or in the stable or wherever it was. And so a harness was built to lower a stallion upon her. And when, unfortunately, the straps broke, the horse fell and crushed her. The end. Is that true? That's horrible. No, of course it's not true. It's just propaganda and the fact that it has lasted so long. There, I'm looking right now at a letter from the straight dope. A letter dated November 17th, 1978 asking if this was true. And they're like, hell no, it's not. Can I say hell? Yeah. Okay. Hell no, it's not. There's going to be people that you know that will believe that that's true still. Oh, just Google it. Yeah. I think if you say, was Catherine the Great, the very next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be a mention of a horse. Yep. Or Catherine the Great death is still a very popular search term Mm -hmm. because people want to know, is that true? You know who we can thank for this is our old friends, the French libelists for this one. The same ones that used to put about the cartoons that Thomas Jefferson and Marie Antoinette were meeting up in the garden. The same people that used to say that Marie Antoinette was having relationships with her ladies, that the father of her children was, in fact, her brother-in-law. These are the same cartoonists working. This is the same time period. Yeah. They had lasting effects. I know. One would wish that one's work would last as long. And then, like, little things happen in real world that bring it back up again. World War II. 1941, I think, is the year some German officers found it. This is, like, kind of in the realm of rumor and kind of not because there's photographs yeah. is the thing. They found in any of two rumored palaces... Gachina or Peterhof. We we can't even like land on where this thing is. This cabinet of erotic furniture where the furniture and decorative objects were made in the shape of body parts that one uses. Wedding tackle, as one might say. <laughs> Male and female wedding Google-able tackle. Googleable wedding tackle. Yes. Yeah. I think <laughs> the cabinet of erotic furniture will get you where you need to go without too many detours, uh, but we'll provide you a link so you don't have to use Google. <laughs> I've got a link. So keep that the kids we'll, off. We'll put in the show notes. And it's not like used for erotic purposes. It's that the parts are used as decorative elements. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The difference? Yeah. Artistically, I mean, that's a lot of detailed carving. <laughs> well, and as someone who is a collector of art, I mean, Nudity and parts. I mean, there's whole temples in Japan where that's the decorative element. It's not like it's unprecedented. And Russia is, has been less European and more Asiatic in nature. And that's a very common element. Although, what a surprising thing to find in the 40s when you weren't looking for that. And um, pretty much all knowledge of where and what that is has all disappeared. Although the photography survives. Hmm. Interesting. Catherine may not have been considered great by all standards. She was overly ambitious. She had phases of being power hungry. She was never able to end serfdom in her country. And her personal life was a deep well of fodder for the propagandist. But she did rewrite the legal code to bring civility to Russia. She established a school system and a hospital system. She has enlarged Russia's territories and made a former backwater country an extremely great power in Europe, and she enhanced the arts. So she may not have met with success, but she met with more than most of Russia's rulers had, and she did try to bring her adopted home into modern times. So the debate about great is out there, but she did do a lot of really cool things. Okay, books. I'm sure we probably have the same books. Um, 
maybe okay. not. I have Catherine the Great, Portrait of a Woman by Robert Massey. Catherine the Great by Simon Dixon, which I like so much I actually bought it. There you go. I know. Um, the Memoirs of Catherine the Great, which was translated by Mark Cruz and Hilde Hugenboom. <laughs> and there is a YA book. Um, this is a series of biographies of Catherine the Great, The Enlightenment in Russia by Nancy Whitelaw. It was a little dry, but it's very thorough, and I think the young adult set could read it. Do you have any more books? Yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, um, Catherine the Great by Virginia Rounding was, man, it's very detailed. It is very detailed, and it's a good storytelling type of book. And it has a lot of asides and a lot of things that I didn't find in any of the other books, so that's good. Uh, It's called Love, Sex, and Power, Catherine the Great by Virginia Rounding. And then the book that I got the most out of, I like this writer. I always have. Carolee Erickson wrote a book just called Great Catherine, The Life of Catherine the Great, Empress of Russia. I did read that one, too, but I had to bring it back because there was a hold on it in my library. <laughs> See, um, Susan oh, yeah. likes to follow the rules. I'd be like, hold be danged. I still need it. <laughs> um, thus why I am once again barred from the library. Uh, not barred. Band. You have a hold on your card. Yes, I have a hold. I I have a constant hold on my card. I gotta make some. I gotta make some friends with some librarians. Oh, I have one more. Actually, oh. you know what? I didn't write down the author. There's a book called Potemkin, Catherine the Great's Imperial Partner, and that's the book I referenced when I talked about uh, how whole books had been written just about that relationship. And if that intrigues you, you know, Moody, <laughs> Professor Moody from Harry Potter. Oh man, I missed my other Harry Potter reference. Oh, throw it in now. What is it? Serfs, to me, are like house elves. They're bound to serve one family until the day they die. And they can't, they have no agency for their own life. And eventually, they kind of get Stockholm Syndrome and become very loyal to the person that's keeping them prisoner, basically. And I just think that is exactly what the serfs were like. So basically, you could read Harry Potter to learn about Catherine the Great. Two aspects of it, anyway. Um, so the movie, uh, you know what? Mm-mm-mm. Movies, no. I would say movies, no. Well, I didn't mind the Catherine Zeta-Jones movie just because Catherine Zeta-Jones is pretty. And it's with the production values, blah. I cannot get over, like, I don't know. I know it's from the 90s, but, like, no care yeah. was taken. It's 96. I don't know. Easy for me to say. It's I couldn't super make a movie long. better it's three than hours. Yeah, I was kind of surprised about that. And I think it ran on TV. I think they're out there there's a 180-minute version, but that's not the one I got from my library. It might have been yeah. YouTube, actually. I think I the full movie's on YouTube. Oh, cool. There's also the Julia Ormond version, which has Vanessa Redgrave as Empress Elizabeth. I think that casting is better, but that's about, I mean, maybe the production value is just a tweak a little bit higher, but... Um, Mm, yeah. Barbara Streisand's producing a new movie. It is in, uh, let's see, Variety says, as of 2015, it's in casting in late 2015. I know we're in the next year, in case you're listening a lot later. We are in the early part of 2016, and as of right now, that's the only detail I have, is that the Barbara Streisand-produced Catherine the Great movie, based on an award-winning script from a script contest, is in the casting process right now. That's all I know. And I also read that Angelina Jolie has optioned um, Montefiore's. I, I don't. I've only seen it in print. Catherine the Great and Potemkin: The Imperial Love Affair. So you know, it could just be like you know what happened with Snow White. All of a sudden, multiple studios have made it all at the same time. So Catherine the Great and her, 
you know, personality might be making a resurgence because people looked around and realized, hey, wait, there's no real good movie about Catherine the Great. That is a big hole. There's a lot of costumes floating around from this time period that we could repurpose. Yeah. Speaking of costumes, <laughs> I, I, I like this website. They also have a podcast. It's called Frock Flicks, and the website is frockflicks.com. Could go so wrong if you say it quickly. <laughs> That's a real tongue twister. Um, but they watch movies. They're experts in costuming and give you reviews based on costume authenticity. They also did Downton Abbey. Mm. Which of late, towards the end of the show, I hope they're kind to Edith in the last couple seasons. Because man, I know she upped her clothing game, didn't she? Knocking it out of the park. Oh, you know, and those parasols she was carrying in the second to last episode. Oh, I just love that. This is the first appearance of a parasol. I know. Thank you. I thought so. It's like, did you have a closet? Like, oh no, we need to write these off for tax purposes. They have to appear on screen. Everybody, get a parasol. Anyway, um, just FYI, Flock Flicks. See, I knew she I couldn't know. do it. Do it again. Flock Flicks. No. Nope. Re- what? Frock Flicks. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe because I spelled it Flock, I'm having so many trouble. Oh, there you go. Frock Flicks uh, recommended <laughs> the Catherine Zeta-Jones movie over the Julia Ormond one, but not by much. And there is that line from Catherine Zeta-Jones in the movie that I'm just like, that is too on the nose. They come together to take the throne, and she looks to her lady-in-waiting and says, I'm about to seize the throne of Russia. What shall I wear? Blurk. (laughs) Blurk. Now, there's two documentaries. I don't know. Did you watch those? There's many, many documentaries, actually. Well, there's two that I really like, and the one I really, really, if I just had to talk about one, it's the PBS 2006 documentary. It's so beautiful. It's, I mean, it's filmed in Russia. It's based on her letters. Just gorgeous to watch. Biography.com also has a good one on their site. We're just going to put a link in the show notes. People focus on various levels of the scurrilous parts of her life, which Mm -hmm. is interesting for me to read. Different books go deeper and shallower into that whole aspect of her life, which makes me laugh. And there's so much that we didn't get to. Oh, yeah. I mean, this we got under three hours with the two episodes together, and we still missed so much. There's also a list on IMDb, uh, a list made by a user. We'll provide the link of Catherine in movies. It's not just Catherine as a main character. It's... Catherine, who has appeared in movies about others, because she really intersects with a lot of of people. So Mm -hmm. that's interesting to me. And then also, if you don't get the chance to go to Russia and see the Hermitage, they have a website, and you can tour the collection online, which I highly recommend that you do. I had that, too. Um, And I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the Alexander Palace time machine, especially the forums. There's actually a forum about Catherine. There's Mm -hmm. actually a forum about Peter. There's, you know, and, and so it's not it's not simply the later Romanovs, whom, you know, of course, we've already covered, but um, there are the older rulers as well. And then, of course, I'll provide you with a link uh, about the, <laughs> I wrote this down, this is not very nice of me, as the Dirty Furniture Collection. But here's why I wrote that, because the link is called Catherine the Great's Dirty, Dirty Furniture Collection, which reminds me of Lorelai Gilmore, and she always goes, dirty. Remember that? Like every other thing, ooh, dirty. <laughs> Um, I think what doesn't that, remind you of the Gilmore Girls of late? Oh, I don't know. I'm so obsessed. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I want to have a watch party for the Gilmore Girls coming out. Can I come? Absolutely. I think we should drink coffee and eat pancakes. 
that we should eat pop tarts. Then pop tarts. Come on, <laughs> pop tarts, and I'm gonna make a chop suey sandwich. No. Or is it a chow mein sandwich? Uh oh. Hmm. I don't know. I'm gonna have to clarify that. Al's Pancake World had a chop suey or chow mein sandwich that was very prominent in one episode, and I am making it. Is that all the links that you have? Yeah, I had the same ones you did. In closing, let me read the epitaph that Catherine wrote for herself, kind of as a joke, but it seems to be spot on. Here lies Catherine II, born in Staten on 21st April, 1729. She came to Russia in 1744 to marry Peter III. At the age of 14, she formed the threefold project of pleasing her husband, Elizabeth, and the nation. She neglected nothing to succeed in this. Eighteen years of boredom and solitude made her read plenty of books. (laughs) I like that part. Arrived on the throne of Russia, she desired its good and sought to procure for her subjects happiness, liberty, and propriety. She forgave easily and hated no one. Indulgent, easy to live with, naturally cheerful, with a Republican soul and a good heart. She had friends. She found work easy. She liked good society and the arts. Thanks for listening. Bye. (laughs) 